Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. As always, encourage you to have the Word of God in your hand. We will put it on the screen for you, but so much better to have God's Word in your hand, to be able to underline, write notes, and just to hold it in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, perhaps you're new to church and you're just kind of checking this thing called Faith in Christ out, just we would love to give you a Bible so you'd have God's Word in your hand. If you make your way out those doors after the service, the welcome desk, they've got Bibles there. There's one for you. We'd love to give you one, our gift to you, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. So we are coming now to the end of our study of the life of David, and we're gonna launch into a study of Proverbs over the rest of the summer. So hopefully that's exciting and encouraging to you. We'll be looking at the book of Proverbs, but we're gonna look at David's last words today. And when it says his last words, really probably what it means is his last prophetic words that God speaks through him to the people. And so it's kind of his last act of service, if you will. Uh, and we find that in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses one through seven. So you can turn there. Uh, as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about when I lived in Chicago. I lived there for a couple years when I was going to seminary. And uh, I decided when I was there that it had been a goal to run a marathon. The Chicago marathons are pretty easy marathon to run as marathons go. So we were like, there's no such thing as an easy marathon. It's an oxymoron. But uh, they, it is relatively easy when it's flat. So how many, any marathon runners? A handful, yep, absolutely. Okay, so, uh, so I was running. I think some of you just raised your hand and you were lying to me. I saw some of the hands that went up. <laughs> you don't look like marathon runners. I'm, I'm just kidding. Karen Paulus is looking at me like, you just said that. And I know I'm speaking straight to Karen. All right, I'm off to a great start this morning. Sorry, guys. So I was running, I was training for the Chicago Marathon, and uh, I made the mistake of deciding to do a long run with a friend that I had met in a prayer group in seminary, but she was a really gifted athlete, like a D3 National Player of the Year in lacrosse sort of, sort of athlete. She'd also been training twice as long as I had because I had broken my wrist and not looked at the training schedule and realized about two months too late when the marathon was, but I said, eh, because I'm a guy and I thought I can just handle that. And so I just started running and training. So I was way behind. So we, we decided to go on this run. We're running through the Forest Preserve of Chicago. All is well. We're going about an hour longer than I've ever gone. And she's already run this distance. And so we get to where, you know, we're two hours solidly into this run. And I am starting to feel it. I mean, I'm not doing great. I'm starting to huff and puff. And we're chatting. And my conversation goes from like, yeah, and da-da-da, to like, I got nothing left. Right, I'm not saying anything. And it's about that time with about 30 minutes left in the run that my friend Lisa says, you know what we gotta do this last 30 minutes? We should just pray together out loud while we're running. And I thought to myself, you are either really holy or really, really obnoxious. I don't know which one it is. So we're running and she goes, I'll start. And she's like, Lord. And she's just offering this wonderful prayer. She doesn't seem to be breathing hard. And it comes to me and I wheeze out just the most pathetic, weak prayer you could possibly imagine. I mean, you just barely get it out of my mouth. Uh, and then she goes back and she goes, oh, and Lord, and da, da, da. I don't remember, I don't remember what she said. Because uh, I'm just thinking, help me. I just gotta get through. I gotta get through. I gotta put one foot in front of the other. I just gotta put one foot in front of the other. That's all I can do right now is get one foot in front of the other. And finally, after about two or three rounds back and forth, I finally said, hey, Lisa, you just keep praying. I, I can't do that anymore. And she's like, oh, okay. And she just kept praying. All the way to the end, all the way to the end. And I was thinking about that this week because uh, the text we're gonna look at makes me think about this New Testament command that we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter three where Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. 
Don't grow weary in doing good. And you know, sometimes we hear that command and we go, yes, I'm not gonna grow weary in doing good. But sometimes we hear that command and it's all we can do to put one foot in front of the other. And it just feels so difficult to imagine that the, the thing God has called us to, the service to him to which he has called us, it just feels like, Lord, I'm barely getting one foot in front of the other right now. I'm not sure how to not grow weary in doing the thing that you've called me to do because all I feel is weariness right now. That's all I feel. And maybe, kind of like me on that run, it feels almost impossible to even pray that you would be so weary that you would get to a place where even just to, to utter a sentence prayer to the Lord feels like a Herculean feat. You know, I'm so glad that our Savior, when he came onto the earth, he said, I will not put out a smoldering wick and I will not crush a bruised reed. I am gentle with you when you're in that state. And I think God's word for us today as we come to the last story that we're gonna look at in the life of David is really just, just an encouragement for the weary today. If you feel weary in serving God, he's given you authority, we've seen that, right? The king God chooses, that's what we've been talking about. The authority God places in our lives to serve him with. And we've seen things like, man, we're, we're supposed to be filled with faith and trust in God and we're supposed to care about injustice and not be silent in the face of injustice. And we've seen all these things about the kind of ways that we're supposed to use God's authority. But I think his closing word to us today as we examine David is to say, if you're weary, I see you. If you're weary, I see you. And I wanna give you some encouragement to keep putting one foot in front of the other so that you would what Galatians says, if 2 Thessalonians chapter three says, don't grow weary in doing good, then skip over to Galatians chapter six, verse nine, which says, don't grow weary in doing good because in due time you will reap. In due time you will reap. In other words, if you won't grow weary in the act of service that God has called you to, you will reap a harvest. The day will come. The day will come. I, I have in mind those of you who have been diligently, diligently trying to serve a wayward child. Just, just want desperately for them to come back. I have in mind children who have been ostracized by their families because they don't share your faith. They don't understand and, and they feel like you've abandoned them but you feel abandoned by them. And, and God is saying, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in serving me. Those of you who are caring for kids in the foster care system, I have you in mind. Taking on a, 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 such a call from God and he's saying, don't, don't grow weary. I see you, I'm with you. I have in mind those of you who are spouses, who your spouse doesn't, doesn't share your faith and perhaps is even antagonistic towards it. Maybe at best indifferent. God sees you. Don't grow weary. You're called to serve that spouse. Don't grow weary. God is calling you and he sees you and he's with you and he's saying don't grow weary. Some of you growing weary of choosing to trust God in the face of great illness and sickness that, that won't seem to cease. Perhaps some of you are growing weary of the constant battering of immorality in your place of work. And God is calling you to shine light into that place. And he's saying, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. In due time, you will reap a harvest. In due time. 
So as we go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, what we're gonna find is that David, in his last act of prophetic service to the Lord, God's gonna speak a word through him, and it's an oracle, which is a word of prophecy, and David is gonna speak that on behalf of the Lord, but we're gonna find and see what's on David's mind here towards the end of his life, and what I think we'll find, hopefully, are weapons for us, tools for us to help us not grow weary, to see what could be one day at the end of our lives if we will not grow weary in serving the Lord. If we can see the harvest that's in front of us, David is gonna point us to it. He's gonna say, look, someday you're gonna be at the end. And when you're at the end and you look back over a life of faithful service to God, here's the kinds of things that you're gonna get to see. Just don't grow weary. These will be yours. So look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 23, chapter of great hope and great encouragement. So we find this, starting in verse one. It says, now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. So it's a short little word. It's not long, just seven verses. And as you read those, there might be some things that you miss. So let's just walk through the passage together today, and let's see four things four things that David speaks, four things that are on his mind and in his heart as he looks back over a life of service to God. Now remember and be encouraged that we have seen that David was not always faithful in his service to God, yes? That this man committed grave sins and yet at the end of his life there is a confidence. That's the thing that strikes me most in looking at this passage. There is a confidence that he is God's servant. And that God has used him in spite of all his fallings and failings. He writes as a man who knows that he has served God, that he has walked with God. And that's a tremendous encouragement to me. Maybe more than anything else uh, throughout this study of the life of David, I've been so encouraged that really flawed people are still used by God. Really flawed people are still used by God in mighty ways, in powerful ways. It's a huge encouragement to not grow weary, just simply to remember that David was someone who committed murder, adultery, allowed grave injustice to go undealt with as king, and yet God still used him mightily. So the first thing that we see is that if we don't grow weary, we will see how privileged we have been to serve God. If we don't grow weary, when we look back at the end of our life, over all the years that we've served God, we will see how privileged we have been. 
And far from feeling like a forced march or like something we've done because we've had to, we will look back and we will feel an overwhelming sense of the privilege we have had in serving God. Look at what it says in verse one. When David says, now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, I already said that just means a word of prophecy, right? God is speaking to David and David is then gonna speak to us. But before he gets even into a specific word of prophecy, what he does is he kind of dwells on who he is with God. His relationship with God is front and center in his mind as he nears the end of his life. That's probably a telling fact, yes? That at the end of life, the thing that's on David's mind is not just service to God, but his relationship with God. And look at what he says. He says, the oracle of David, and then he says, the son of Jesse. Now, you might just read past that and go, oh, he's just telling who his father is. But what he's really saying there when he says, the son of David, and then he goes in the next breath to say, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. What he's doing is he's comparing where he came from and where God took him. When he says, the son of Jesse, what you should hear him saying is, the son of no one important the youngest son of a guy who lived out in the backwoods that nobody ever paid attention to. You remember the story of David's anointing? It's the first story we looked at in this whole life of David. Who was he? He was nobody. That's the whole point of that story. It's not that David was strong or winsome or powerful or the right kind of guy to be king. The whole point of that story and of David's life is that David was not the kind of person you would choose to be a king. He was overlooked, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart not at the outward appearance. And so when David says, I'm David, the son of Jesse, what he's saying to us is, I am no one of significance. And me, this person of no significance, became the one that God anointed to be king over his people. The God of Jacob, all his forefathers, he's alluding back to there, the God of the nation of Israel raised me on high from a place of no significance. So the first thing that David is doing as he's thinking back now and looking back over a life of trying to serve God, what he sees is, wow, I can't believe that God chose me to do that. And you and I will feel the same way. If we don't grow weary in serving God, here's what you can imagine. Imagine sitting on that rocking chair pointed west one day and all the hair is gray and you're watching the sunset and you're thinking to yourself, I remember when God used me to do this. And I remember when he used me to do that. And what you won't feel is, you know, that was pretty smart of God to do. I was probably the right choice for that job. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how eloquent you are, how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how equipped even you feel just in your natural skill set. Those who serve God faithfully will look back at the end of life and say, I cannot believe that I got to do that. And you will know, and here's the thing, here's the thing David knows. He was chosen by God, and that's what he's really reflecting on. I, this person of no significance, was chosen by God, tapped on the shoulder, uniquely picked from among all people to do this work. One day, when you sit in that rocking chair, if you have not grown weary in doing good, do you know what you will know? God tapped you on the shoulder and he said, I want you to serve me in this way. And if you say yes to him, the years that you will have to look back on, you will be filled with an awe-inspiring sense of how privileged you have been. You're not gonna get to the end and go, 
man, that was a tough march. I can't believe I had to do all that stuff. You're gonna get back. You're gonna get to the end of that journey and you're gonna say, yeah, there was some hard stuff, but I can't believe I got to do that. Which is a really good gift to know now. It's a really good thing to know now particularly those of you who are younger, that if you spend your life serving God, you will not get to the end and think, I had to do that. You will get to the end and say, God chose me to do that and I got to do it and I am astonished that that was the case. And it doesn't matter whether he calls you to preach, whether he calls you to be a mom and a dad, whether he calls you to be an engineer, whether he calls you to be a doctor or a teacher, it doesn't matter whether he calls you to be simply, uh, in a very simple way, a great son or daughter who tries to uh, usher parents into the faith. It, It doesn't matter what his calling is on your life. He's choosing you for the service to which he is appointing you. You're chosen for it. It's not accidental. It is prescribed for you. Some of you right now are walking through life imagining that either you are choosing your own path and charting it or you're imagining, you're imagining that things are just happening at random. And do you know that the scripture just leaves no room for that kind of thinking? The scripture has no place for that kind of thinking. It just says to us again and again, God has prescribed your steps. He knows the heart of a king and he's the one that determines the steps that king takes. He has prescribed a service for you. And if you'll walk in it, I promise you, at the end of it all, it will not feel as if you've been on some random journey. You will look back and you will say, God chose it. And I said yes to it. Praise him for the grace that, for me to say yes to it. And in saying yes, I have such great joy. What a privilege it was to serve my king in this way whether small or great. Uh, another preacher I got to hear at my last church in Austin, uh, just this illustration has never left me and he shared it and I think I've shared it with you before. He went into uh, the great discovery of you know, planets that we found, I think through the Hubble telescope, just different, different galaxies, different planets that we've found that we didn't know existed for the greater part of all, of all of human existence. These planets have existed and no one knew about them until the last like five years or so. Why does God create things that no one but him knows about? Because he delights in them. Because they glorify him. And you might be called to be one of those planets that no one ever sees your service. But do you know who created you and sees you and chose you for that role? God did. God did. If no one else ever sees, if you're that planet light years away that no one ever sees or knows exists and your service is so quiet that at the end of life, the only person saying well done is God. Do you know that you will not have one regret that no one ever patted you on the back? All you will feel is, I got an attaboy from the king of kings or an girl from the king of kings. That's all I want. Oh, to live life with a sense of what a privilege it is to serve God so that we might hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. As your pastor, it's my job to point you to that well done. Oh, to point you to that well done and say, it's coming for you. Don't grow weary. You will reap a harvest. The second thing we see, just moving down through the text. The second thing we see is that if we don't grow weary, we will have a confident assurance that God has spoken through us. Look at verses two and three. If we don't grow weary, 
We have a confident assurance that God has spoken through us. In verse two, he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, and then just pause there before we get into what he says. But the thing that you notice, I love David's confidence, his confident assurance here. He knows that God has and is speaking through him. And here's the thing, friends. When you get to that rocking chair and you're sitting on that porch, if you have not grown weary in doing good and in serving God in the way he's called you, what you will know is not, I wonder if the things that I said were actually from God. You will be able to have a confident assurance that what you spoke was the very word of God if you will serve him faithfully. And how good is that? Because here's the thing. A lot of people go through life and get to the end and ask themselves, did anything I do make any impact on anyone? What was my life about? Do you know that that's, there is a sadness in coming to the end of life and asking, did my life make any difference? Did anything I say or do last? But the servants of Christ will stand at the end of time and stand at the end of their lives and look back over their life and they'll say, I was the mouthpiece of God and I'm confidently assured that that was the case. I know that I spoke for the king. Do you see how important that is? Do you want to get to the end of your life and feel confident that what you spent your life doing was speaking for God? Don't you want that? Because the other alternative is to get to the end of life and say, did I just speak for me all this time? Or did I speak for him? But like David, you can be confidently assured that you spoke for God. And I love that David here, again, just another little detail of the text that you can just fly right by, but he calls God the rock of Israel. He says, the rock of Israel has spoken through me. And the reason he's using that terminology specifically is because what he wants us to understand is he's saying, look, I know God has spoken through me and because God is a rock, he does not change. Therefore, his word does not change. Therefore, everything that I've done in service to him and speaking his word will have lasting impact from generation to generation because the God who spoke that word through me never changes. Therefore, the word that I spoke, if it was his word, still will continue to have impact through generation after generation because he will not change and his word will not return void. If you will speak God's word throughout the course of your life, then you will find that your life will have massive impact long beyond your days on this earth because his word never ceases to bear fruit. Do you know that? You gotta trust it. You have to trust that that is true, that God's word Always bears fruit. Isaiah 55, verse 11 speaks to that. God says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So how can I have this assurance? How can I have the assurance that when I'm sitting in the rocking chair one day, on that porch facing west, right? This is just my image. Maybe you have some other image. I like the rocking chair pointed west. That's a big, big deal for me, right? Sitting there, hopefully holding hands with my wife still. I hope that I will have confident assurance that what I've done is spoken God's word, not my own words. And here's how I believe we can have that confident assurance. Number one, the way to have that kind of assurance is to develop an understanding of the spirit of God and to develop our listening to him. Because what did he say at the beginning of verse two? He says, who speaks through him? 
the Spirit of the Lord. David goes out of his way to acknowledge the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through him. He doesn't just say the Lord speaks through me, which was an option. He could have said that, right? But he didn't say that. He said the Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. In other words, he understands that it's the Holy Spirit that communicates from God through people. And so David, giving special attention to his relationship with the Spirit, understands that it's the Spirit that plants words in our heart to speak. And if we will pay attention to the Spirit and not ignore him and cultivate in our prayer life an ongoing dialogue with the Spirit of God where we're saying, I am listening Anything you want to speak to me, I want to hear and receive. And if you have a word to speak through me, I will speak it, no matter how difficult or hard it may be, no matter how much courage it might take, I will say yes to speak that word. Cultivate your relationship with the Spirit of God and you can be confidently assured that that Spirit will speak through you. That's what David is saying. The second thing, the second thing is to be determined to speak the written word of God. Be determined when you give counsel, when you give advice, when you are parenting, when you are doing your job. Make every opportunity an opportunity to speak the truth of God's written word. Pepper your speech with God's written word. Know it, memorize it, love it, adore it. And speak it at every opportunity. Do you know that God's word spoken through you has way more impact than your advice will have? Know God's word and speak it to people. And don't don't feel silly or like you're a Bible thumper or like you're weird. Look, just, you know, you don't have to you don't have to sort of like say, well, chapter and verse, just in your normal pattern of speech, incorporate God's word. You've known people who've done this well, right? You've been around people who do this. It just seems like no matter what, God's word pops to mind. And they just go, you know, that makes me think of this. And they just, they just give you God's word. And when that happens, aren't you so richly blessed to be taken back to God's word? Much more so than if you had said, here's what I think about this situation. I'm not saying it's wrong to give counsel or advice, but just fill your speech. Look, if you wanna sit on that rocking chair one day and look back and go, I want to be assured that I spoke for God, then speak his written word into the lives of people. Speak his written word. Listen to what the Psalms say. Psalm chapter one, verse one and two says, blessed is the man, and it says who doesn't do certain things, but then after that, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Or how about Psalm 119? Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Psalm 119, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Do you see what the psalmist is getting at? Oh, to love the word of God. To love the word of God. And in fact, in that last verse, what he's saying is, if I had not loved your word, if I had not treasured your word and counted it to be precious beyond anything on this earth, if I had not loved it, I would have been the victim of affliction. Difficulty would have overtaken me. But because I love your word, I am spared great affliction. Loving God's word is a saving grace in our lives. All right, the third thing we see that David says here, just to encourage us, if we don't grow weary, we will see how God was with us as we served him. 
Okay, so get this. If we don't grow weary, if we don't grow weary, then we are going to see that we have been privileged. And if we don't grow weary, then we are going to have this confident assurance that God has spoken through us. But not only that, we are going to look back and we are gonna see over the course of our life that God was with us at every moment we were serving him. And that is the great treasure of serving God. It's not even the impact of serving him. It's that he was with us. And that's what David is acknowledging in verses three and four when he says this. Now he's gonna get into what God gave him to speak. So the middle of verse three says, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So what's David saying there? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying those who rule justly in the fear of God, in other words, those who serve God faithfully. Can we just encapsulate it that way? Next week, actually, our opening sermon on the book of Proverbs is about what, is, what does the Bible mean when it says that we are to fear God? And there's an example of it, the fear of God. It's one of the most, it's one of those misunderstood like, and, and it's difficult to understand. Like, what is, how am I supposed to fear him? Well, we'll talk about that next week. But David is saying here, those who rule in the fear of God, those who serve God faithfully, what is God gonna do for them? What did he just say there? He will dawn on them like the morning light, like the sun on a cloudless morning, like the rain that waters the earth and brings about growth. In other words, what he's saying is, when he says he will dawn on you, he will come and be with you. When the sun rises in the morning, we're welcoming the sun and its warmth and its light and the growth that it brings, the nourishment that the rain brings to the earth causes things to grow and provides for us. That's the metaphor that David is using here when he's saying, oh, God will be like sun and rain to you. He will give life to you because he will be with you. He will dawn on you, which means that if we don't grow weary, when we're looking back one day, what are we gonna see? We're gonna see that at every turn, God was dawning on us. He was present with us in the great difficulties, in the moments of rest, that God was there. He was present with us. You were never, ever alone. And sometimes I don't think we value that God has been with us in every hard conversation, every time we stood up to speak for him and felt nervous, every time we needed wisdom to counsel somebody. But when we look back over our lives, we will see it. We will see it. Here's what Psalm 16, verse 11 says. And this is David, actually, in another psalm writing. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Just, just memorize that. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is partial joy? No, fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One of my favorite psalms, one of my favorite verses from that psalm, because what does it remind us? When I look back, I sit in that rocking chair and I look back over my life and I say, you were with me. You were actually dawning on me in every hard conversation. You were present. You didn't leave me. You didn't abandon me. You actually filled me in that moment and you created thriving for me in that service to you. 
You never left me. Imagine looking back over a life and actually realizing in ways that right now you don't see that he was with you and you didn't see it. Can you think about how you're gonna shout praises to God when you look back and you go, oh, that, that's what you were up to? Oh and, that, oh, and you were there and you didn't leave me? And there's not gonna be, imagine looking back over the course of your whole life and kind of looking for the moment where God wasn't with you and then realizing that over 50, 60, 70 years, he was actually there every time. And as you go back and recount them all, you realize there's not one gap. There's not one single moment where God abandoned, where God wasn't present, where God wasn't moving, where he wasn't working through you. He was there, dawning on you like the sun in the morning, pouring rain on you so that you might thrive and grow. And the response is what the psalmist says, oh, I am just now realizing what it means that there are pleasures forevermore at your right hand. In your presence is fullness of life. The great treasure of serving God is that God is with you. He is with you. Whether you have great impact or little impact, whether you see thousands come to faith through the testimony of your life and the words that you speak or one, God is with you. Don't grow weary in doing good. You will reap a harvest and part of that harvest that you reap will be the knowledge that God never left. And you will treasure that more than any other thing. The fourth thing that we see here that David speaks to us is that if we don't grow weary, we will know how certain his promises are. In other words, what David tells us here is that by serving God faithfully, not because we earned the right to have him be faithful to us or to have him keep his promises to us by our faithful service, no. But in serving faithfully, we come to know him more clearly, more fully, more deeply. And in coming to know him, we, it dawns on us that he is a promise-keeping God. And so we will get to the end of our lives and we will have no doubt that the promises that he has kept all our lives, he will keep on the other side of death. And what a good thing to know that through our faithful service, we will become increasingly confident that our promise-keeping God will keep all his promises after the day we've breathed our last. Look at what it says in verse five. After he dawns on us, he makes the grass to sprout like rain. Then in verse five, he says, for does not my house stand so with God? Now you need to get something there. David doesn't say, do not I stand so with God? He says, does not my house stand so with God? In other words, he's thinking about who? Not himself, but the generations that will come after him. That's what my house represents, particularly to a king where God had said to him, your house will stay on the throne. That was the covenant that God had made with David. In other words, you will have sons and their sons and their sons who will reign on the throne of Judah. They will reign. And so when David says, does not my house stand so with God? He's not saying, hasn't God kept all his promises to me? He's saying God will keep all his promises to my generations that come after me. Because then what he says after that, in the second half of verse five, for he has made with me an everlasting covenant. And we saw that covenant several chapters back. He says, ordered in all things and secure, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? What David has in mind there 
is that the promises of God are absolutely certain. So he's pointing us to his house and the generations that come after him. He's pointing us to the covenant that God has made with him. And the thing that we can know is that what awaits us after death is eternal presence, eternal joy in the presence of God. What awaits us after death, after all these years of faithful service, what awaits us is eternal joy in the presence of God. And can I just testify as a pastor who spends a decent amount of time in hospitals that there is a distinct and marked difference between the person who has spent their entire life serving God and come to know him as a promise-keeping God, the kind of assurance that is present in that moment as death draws near is absolutely tangible. You can walk into the room and experience it. If you've never walked into a hospital room like that, let me just tell you, when the day comes that God calls you to walk into one of those hospital rooms with a relative, with a friend, and you walk into it, just trust me with this. Those who have spent their life in faithful service to God, not because they think they've earned God's love through their service, but just because they've come to know him so clearly through that service, they have not grown weary. And in not growing weary in doing good, they have such deep assurance in this God whom they have served, that he is a promise-keeping God, that they have no doubt what's about to happen to them on the other side of death. And even those who are believers... Who, who have placed their faith in God, but perhaps have not diligently served God throughout their entire life. It's, it's a different situation. And as a pastor, you have to speak into those situations very differently. In this situation, you find yourself trying to just say, let's look at the word of God and what he says about the assurance we can have. Let's remind ourselves. Let's remember who he is as a grace-giving God and the mercy that we have in the cross of Jesus. Look at that. And in this situation, you know what happens? They minister to you. This person turns around and they say to you, oh, I'm good. What can I do for you today? I'm like, I'm actually here to pray for you. No, I don't, I'm good. No, actually pray for me. I mean, nobody, I don't wanna turn down the prayers, but really, let me just tell you, like, I have it way better than you have it. I'm about to see the king and you gotta stay here. Sad times for you. I, you know, I'm being a little lighthearted there, but it's really, it's, it's so different. And the difference is a, faithful, a life spent in faithful service to the king just produces a confidence in the promises of God. That's what it does. It just has that effect. Now here's the thing. David has this confidence. All these things, right? My friends, my hope is that Look, I know some of you are hearing this and, it's, and what it probably does is it goes, I haven't been faithfully serving God and I need to start doing that so that I can experience all these things, so that I can look back at the end of life and have what David is talking about. And, and that's right. If you've been ignoring serving God, if you've been content to think, well, I have eternal life promised to me, but as for serving him now, today, I, I don't have much interest in that. I do want you to change your perspective. But mostly what I think God is trying to speak to us here is don't grow weary. You will reap a harvest. I want you to see what David sees and know that one day it will be yours if you'll, if you'll persevere. If you'll persevere in serving, it will produce this harvest in you in those last days. And can I remind us how much better we have it than David? we have it better than David. We have a greater privilege than the kingship of David. David was privileged to be king. 
We have a greater privilege. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are his messengers. And by the way, also his sons and daughters. We have a greater privilege than David ever had. We have a greater confidence than David ever could have had that God has spoken through us because we speak with the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. David spoke prophetically about the future, a future he was not certain of or did not know what it would look like. We speak about the finished work of Jesus Christ. We know the scriptures are closed. There is nothing else to be written. The spirit of God indwells us and speaks through us. We have a greater privilege and we have a greater voice than David ever had. We have a fuller experience of the presence of God than David ever did through his spirit who dwells in us. And we have greater promises from God than David ever had because in Christ Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. We have what David never had because of Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, we have received a greater privilege, a greater confidence, a greater experience of the presence of God, a greater voice in the kingdom of God because we are his and he is ours. So my friends, with these great privileges and this great confidence, can I say to you as your pastor, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. Fight the good fight. Persevere to the end. For in due time, you will reap a harvest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our King, we trust that your word is true and we trust that it's right. You have not failed us once and you never will. And so we rely on you. We look to you. And we ask you to keep these promises that we've seen now in your word. We ask you to keep them by your great power and by your great strength and through your great love. Would you keep them for us? so that we might know that one day a life spent in faithful service to you will produce no regrets, but great joy. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Oh, would you strengthen them? They need your strength. I need your strength. We have no hope of not growing weary and of being faithful in service to you apart from your power moving through us. And so we ask for it. We ask you to provide it. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.